Welcome to the NFL Stock Exchange Podcast. In this episode, we're talking cornerbacks, baby. Talking about the shutdown dudes on the outside, covering all these crazy talented wide receivers that we talked about a couple of months ago. So we're going to give you our top fives going into the season. Talk about the guys that play on the outside, some players that play in the slot, but there's so many good cornerbacks around the country. So we're giving you way more than just our top fives. So we'll break those guys down in depth, but We'll touch on plenty of prospects that we have been watching at the cornerback position as well. I'm Trevor Sycamore. With me, as always, is Connor Rogers. Let's ring the bell. Welcome to the opening bell of the NFL Stock Exchange podcast. I'm Trevor Sikama. That is Connor Rogers. Joining you guys for cornerback day. We only got two more episodes of the summer scouting series left here. And cornerback is one of them. So if y'all been hanging out with us throughout the entire summer, you know the drill. We're going to give you our top fives. But as Connor and I do in the pre-show meeting. So yes, we do talk briefly before the show. But we don't do any planning. Don't worry, guys. We realized that our lists of corners that we watched kind of very different. So not only are we going to talk wildly about different. these top five guys and we are going to rank them going into the season. There's a lot of players. I think at the end of the episode that we are at least going to give shout outs to tell you our thoughts on them that didn't make those top fives, because I think there's a lot of guys to get to Connor. How the heck are you, my friend? I'm good, man. I'm kind of excited for this because I feel like because of that accident, uh, which it was, we didn't intend to watch a lot of different players. We're going to cover more ground today. Normally, I feel just naturally, we watch a lot of the same amount of guys. Like either the yep. databases we use are the same. We we go off PFF grades, obviously. So like the guys who grade well, we'll watch a lot of those guys. But just somehow we both logged on and I was like, oh, who did you watch? And sometimes there's like two guys you got you watched that I didn't watch yeah. or vice versa. And there's like seven guys for right? each of our lists. You watched 14. I watched 13. And I do think the second half of each of our lists were totally different. Yeah, totally different. It was basically so, just Connor listing fun. out a name and I go, nope. You're like, nope, nope, nope. nope. And I'm like, nope. wait a second. That means there's a lot of guys I didn't watch that you did, which is really funny. And it's. We say this all the time, not to feed a fed horse, right? Or just go over it over it again. But we are still, and we're kind of at the end of it. We're still in that eligibility oddness of the class. Yes. Yes. Right? Where it's, you got, I mean, there's corners that we had to watch or will have to watch that are 60-year players. And they are real NFL prospects. Yeah, you got like doctors and lawyers in there i mean seriously <laughs> seriously it's it's really wild so that plays a big part into it of how these classes are so um you know expanded and summer scouting is always a nice little brief overlook of the class but it'll be really fun to ca- i can't wait to catch my breath like I was, i've already been texting with people and in, you included about quarterbacks that we didn't get to watch mm-hmm. um and really catch up on this class when we build a board and track it throughout the year as we will uh, do on this show amongst many other things amongst many other things so yeah man it's it, this is going to be a fun one connor as preseason football has kicked off and as this is the cornerback episode this is the perfect time to ask you did you see Eli Ricks with the pick six for the Eagles against the Ravens? Because your boy and those listening to the podcast last year, remember Eli Ricks 
preseason CB one, baby. I always believed he always did never wrong. Just early. That's God, right. Just way too early. Uh, ended up as player 203 for me. He wasn't drafted, right? When all no, of a sudden he went up. undrafted. Man, so somehow I was way higher on him in the league, and I thought I was so much lower <laughs> on him than everyone else. Uh, it's cool to see. I, I, It will wear out its welcome, but I love the first two games of the preseason oh, because, yeah. I mean, you spend month after, for you, literally you and I spend a year, but a lot of people spend month after month scouting a draft class and just to get to see them make plays at the NFL level, even if it's the preseason is so awesome. It's so awesome. Preseason lies all the time, but it's fun to kind of believe in the magic as it's happening. And it's, you just love to see the guys that were undrafted, you know, get to make plays and try to make a roster. I think the preseason is the perfect amount of time now, you know, like four games was kind of too many. Right. I think that we were used to it for a long time because a good warm up getting into the regular season. You got four preseason games and then that goes into 16 of the games that like actually count, if you will. Not the preseason games don't matter. They matter. They just don't count. But I think that with three, it's that perfect feeling of like you mentioned, we're all super hyped right now for any preseason action that we could possibly get. All right. Then next week we get to see some of the. Uh, you some of the other backup players get get into the action, and then right when we're getting to the point where we go, okay, I'm kind of done with the preseason. It's week three of the preseason, and the starters actually play. Like you see a lot of those starters, yeah. And then it gets right into the regular season. So it's over. I actually <laughs> love it's over. I actually love the three game format for preseason because it feels really great. And I wanted to shout out a tweet that we got that you actually sent me that has to do with keeping track of these rookies. Cause you mentioned we, we follow these guys year round in the pre-draft process on draft weekend, getting into the early parts of their NFL career and a Twitter account called let Joe cook tweeted at us. And then a lot of other really great draft analysts as well. And said, we need a show that tracks rookies and back of the roster guys throughout their early development, at least throughout the preseason. So we're still on a one episode a week schedule right now going into august but that's going to ramp up to two a week once september and the regular season comes around and we are going to devote a portion of our nfl coverage to specifically that we know that you guys are here because you want our nfl thoughts and you want to come in here and talk nfl stuff which we do as well but it's also a draft focused pod so we're going to try to be better at that this year of making sure we know like, hey, this guy, he was a six-round pick. We liked him pre-draft. These are the things that I thought he could do well in the NFL, and they're actually doing them. Even if it's in short spurts, even if it's in small sample sizes, we're going to try to make sure that we do a good job of looking back and tracking the development of these draftees, not just, oh, they were drafted. We don't care anymore. On to the next one. Exactly. There's a lot we get to do on this podcast, and I think kind of doing the – season with the rookie class is a really good thing for us to add to it because it just meshes so well with what we do with the draft class. We know these guys in and out. And it also gives a little bit more shelf life to that class because it feels like we discard a class so quickly and pick up another. And that's absolutely what we're going to do today is we go through all the corners. But during the season, it will be fun to track the rookies. And we're not here to just tell you like, oh, it looks like Bijan Robinson's going to win rookie of the year. We want to actually track all of the guys that are getting to play as rookies in the NFL, standing out, whether they were a sixth round pick, undrafted, a top 10 pick, whatever it may be. So 
we hear you. We appreciate the suggestion so much that we are absolutely going to follow that throughout the year. We're not trying to be the Toy Story meme, you know, or they're just like, I don't want to play with you anymore. And it's just like the graphics. (laughs) You were drafted. Now we don't care about you anymore. But anyways, let's uh, let's get to this cornerback class. Deep, right? And I mean, it it makes sense because every single team in the FBS and beyond, you got to have at least five corners that you can run out there at any time, four or five corners that you got to run where you can not just fill out a dime package with four DBs out there, but of course, rotational guys in there as well. Uh, If guys go down, you got to get players in there too. So you know that with every single team in the country, they've got at least five corners that they've got to be able to play at any given time, which makes it, I'm not going to lie, one of the tougher jobs to do when doing summer scouting because you know, we were kind of joking about it at the beginning of the podcast, but your list of guys that you watched is so different than the list that I watched. And that's because the database for all the players that you would maybe want to get your eyes on at corners is so vast. So we're trying to narrow it down as much as we can for you. Make sure that we're giving you the names that you need to know. And Connor, with the list of guys that you watched, who came in at number five for you as we head into the preseason? Number five was a bit of a surprise for me, and I like when this happens. You do your watch list, and it you have it in your head one way of how it could go, or the names that are really, you know, going to compete for the top five, and then you have a name that just ends up better than a lot of those guys, and that is absolutely the case in number five with TJ Tampa from Iowa State, the long, athletic, explosive corner. This is someone who hasn't gotten a ton of recognition yet he's I'll tell you what if you just want a little intro to him just you know google TJ Tampa basketball highlights and see the dunk this dude put on when he was a Florida a a high school basketball player in Florida he obviously ends up at Iowa State I believe he was recruited pretty heavily by some really big time programs and not to say Iowa State's not they churn out defensive players and offensive players at a pretty high rate right now under Matty Campbell but I'm pretty sure Georgia made a big run at this guy. So, I mean, this dude was a big athlete uh, coming out of high school, but maybe still overlooked and still overlooked right now as a prospect. You turn on the tape. He's 6'1". He's a a hair under 200 pounds. He's got really, really good length. He's long-limbed and explosive. He's going to jump at least 40 inches at the combine. I would take the over on that. He's going to run really, really well. You watch him. He can open up and run like the wind down the field. I think for an experienced player, because remember, he's going into his senior year. Something I really caught on to this summer more so than ever is guys knowing when to open up and run down the field versus guys being too late at doing that. And it's not that they're slow. It's that they didn't anticipate that they need to get vertical with the target. And I think Tampa shows a really good understanding of that while also being a very gifted athlete to just flat out do it. He has a reach that allows him to make some pretty rare PBUs. When you watch the past breakups through this class, you know, there could be plenty that the ball is just there and the player is just there and they make a play. He has that long, long reach where it's like, wow, I can't believe he, he got to that ball. Even if he's beat when you have recovery speed and very rare reach, it's one of those situations where you are never beat. It's just a matter of how you make up for it. Um, if you want an intro to TJ Tampa, turn on the Oklahoma game last year. They, for whatever reason, kept challenging him 
and he kept answering the call consistently. He made some incredible plays. He looked smooth in coverage. He can cover down the field. I mean, this is a really good player. He really is. I know probably coming into the season, he's probably more of a day two projection. Um, We'll see what he could do this year to maybe even climb up a little bit. I think he could be more physical in coverage. I think he's got the traits to be a physical corner. I think he could even ramp up the physicality. I think he can convert some of these PBUs into interceptions with the ability and the tools that he has. And as the anticipation even starts to crank up more, but I, my process with corner over the summer compared to pre-draft is I am looking for athletes and how guys move almost more than anything. When I go through the pre-draft process, anticipation, recognition, IQ, awareness, it matters maybe above all. But right now, if you're an athlete that's at least average and all the other things I just said, you got a pretty good shot. And Tampa's a really, really good athlete that it feels like the green light is starting to come on for him with all of the other things. And I think it's going to play at the next level. This is the kind of corner the NFL is looking for right now. Can you run down the field with these freakish wide receivers? Can you find a way to compete at the catch in a league that is so strict and nitpicky with penalties? And and he's got it in that regard. You know, I'm embarrassed that I didn't watch this guy. He you shouldn't a, he... be because it's going to happen to me. No, 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 well. no, no. But you got to You got to understand what we're talking about here. The man's name is TJ Tampa. Okay, okay. this is fair. <laughs> and he's actually from St. Petersburg, Florida, which if anybody yes. knows about the state of Florida and how it's laid out, St. Petersburg is literally right next to basically, Tampa. They call it Tampa. the St. Pete Tampa area. That yes. is the Bay Area in Tampa, in Tampa Bay. And so not only is the man's last name Tampa, he's basically from Tampa, I'm from that area as well. My username on Twitter is at Tampa Bay Trey. So I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed, Connor. We're starting off the podcast with some embarrassment for your boy here because I got to watch it, man. I'm now wondering how this guy didn't go to Florida. I would, would like to know how he didn't go to the University of Florida. But hey, great on Matt Campbell and Iowa State for stealing him away. Uh, he sounds like a really, uh, obviously a great prospect that I got to get some eyes on. I'll I'll read up a couple of PFF stats as a little bit of an intro to how I'm going to talk about some of these guys too. Um, we talked about it a couple of podcasts ago that although we like all the data, obviously that we have at PFF, we collect it for a reason. Some are without question more translatable than the other. When it comes to the cornerback position, there are you know coverage grade is sometimes really tough. Not only because you know you got to know the exact play, you got to know the assignment. Sometimes it's really tough to put um, an attaboy or blame on a player that if you're really not sure at all what the coverage is, sometimes it's tough to make sure that you're getting that exactly right. But the stable metrics, if you will, that we have in our database are single coverage cover grades and then coverage grades from a clean pocket on throws that come at least three seconds after the quarterback has it. So what do those two things do? Well, they contextualize and try to individualize what a defensive player is doing by himself outside of the rest of the structure of the defense. Cause that's what we're trying to do, right? Obviously it's, it's an 11 man thing defense. You got to play together in order to have success. But when you're talking about draft prospects, you're always trying to remove a guy from his situation as po- as much as possible to evaluate the talent that they have. So 
coverage grade, obviously something that I think is good and useful. You know, it's more useful than raw interceptions or something like that. But we are able to get even more detailed into coverage grade. And certainly anytime that you're aligned in single coverage, right? You're looking at the man right in front of you and you're wondering how you do in coverage against him. That's valuable. And then the other area of coverage where the quarterback has the ball for at least three seconds and we did not track a pressure that tells you that pass rush did not directly benefit how you played coverage. It's still just you versus the other guy. So in both of those areas, TJ Tampa still graded very well. I'm looking, I'm looking at his stuff right now and, the raw coverage grade for him, 81.4. That's a really nice coverage grade. Um, in single coverage, it goes down, and it's always going to go down a little bit, guys. But it only goes down to 76.8. And for the other guys that we'll list on this show, you'll realize that that's a really good score there. And then the time to throw and the clean pressure, just updating it right now, that one is 71.6 as a coverage grade. If you've got above 70 coverage grades in raw coverage, single coverage, and lack of pressure coverage, like you are doing your job extremely right. well in a lot of different categories. He also has 12 forced incompletions, which we also track as a pretty stable metric. If you're somebody who gets a lot of forced incompletions, that means you got good ball skills, you got good timing, you got good length. You're always around the ball when the ball's coming to the catch point. So I just wanted to... For even though I haven't seen him yet, fortify you having him in the top five and you liking him a lot by pointing out some of that um, unique PFF data that we have to those metrics, which are more translatable than a lot of the other things that you'll look at in the stat column. Those served him well. So I'm excited to get to watch him. You'll like him. I mean, in a league that values length and being explosive and being able to run and being able to play the ball. I thought he checked the boxes on all of those things. And it feels like he's really, really developing at Iowa State, which how many times have we seen that with players over there? I, I'm sure somebody will have a counter, but like what school takes three stars and makes them into four or five star caliber college football players more so it feels like right now than Iowa State, um, yep. especially on the defensive side of the ball. And he's the next guy up and uh, he, he at number five, he'll be my guy that will rise throughout the season, throughout the draft process. And I think we'll finish as a top five corner. I'm, I'm going to watch him this week, man. All right. So my number five guy to kick things off. I think this is somebody that you did not watch yet. And that is Max Melton from Rutgers. No. And he's in, I say my backyard, even though not only do I live in New York again, but Rutgers is a little bit of a pain in the ass to get to, but yes, for as terms of college football, this is as close as a guy in my backyard that I'm excited to see. So I'm excited to hear what you have on him. I actually don't know where Rutgers is. I knew, I knew, I knew it was, it's I knew it was very North middle East, of nowhere. Jersey. But I didn't know. I'm hold on. I'm pulling up the map. Cause I got to yeah. know if you have no excuse or not to go. Oh, to I Rutgers. go down for games almost every year to scout when Ohio state comes into town or, but Hey, Isaiah Pacheco's in the league right now. Bo Melton's out there. They got Max Melton. See, and Max Melton, really good transition. You mentioned his brother. Yes. Bo Melton. So he's got the NFL bloodlines to him a little bit. His older, his older Hell yeah. Bo. 
plays wide receivers um, at Rutgers as well. Uh, plays for the Green Bay Packers too. This guy was a three-star cornerback. Measures in at six feet tall, 190 pounds. So six six feet tall, six feet even for a corner. 61st percentile. And then 190 pounds for a corner is actually the 38th percentile. I actually thought that that would be higher. I, yeah, I mean, that doesn't bother me. You're right. Like, the, like it's a threshold see, position. If you're... When I say 190, play, 195, I'm like, okay, like, that's fine. Yeah, yeah sure. So I, I don't need you to be I, 210 pounds out there like a strong safety. We'll get to Cooper DeGene in a little bit. Don't worry about it. Don't Jesus about Christ. It. <laughs> I'll take it when it's available. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, he's got the, uh, he's got the NFL background. Um, just doing a little bit of Wikipedia background searching as well. Uh, his father, Gary, also played football at Rutgers, and his mother, Vicky, played on the women's basketball team at Rutgers as well. So, very athletic family. So, okay, going over some they of those. They're all PS- Scarlet Knights. Literally, they every are. last one of them, apparently. They are. They are. It, the, the, the bloodline runs deep. So, some of those PFF data points before I get into some film analysis for them. Coverage grade. 70.2, so flat 70.2. Coverage grade in single coverage, 56.8. Uh, coverage grade versus clean pocket, we're at 61.3. So those those numbers are fine. You know, I think that some people might look at it and go, whoa, hold on, PFF grades in the 50s and 60s? Like, that ain't good. But you are really pinpointing the, I would say, highest stress situations. And we'll get to some guys that are higher on this list that play well in those categories, and that's why they are higher on the list. But I don't want anybody to freak out when we read out some of these numbers and they go, oh, 50s and 60s, this guy can't play. He's cheeks. That's not really the way that you should look at it. It's more of just a contextualizing thing to say, you don't want these numbers like 30s, 40s, like straight up can't play whenever they're on an island or wherever, whenever they're um, left their own devices. So that wasn't the case with him. The coverage grades are fine. Nine forced incompletions, played 510 snaps on the outside, only 19 in the slot. So this guy is an outside receiver. I think that I'm just going to be, he's going to be like one of my guys. Like, I think he's just going to, that, that's the way that it's going to be. Cause I've seen him on cornerback lists. That he's a little bit further down and I don't know where the league's going to end up being on him because um, he is a senior. So he's not an underclassman for the first time. So obviously he came back to school, but he's your TJ Tampa. It's the same is, conversation. Man. It's he's the same fe- conversation. He's feisty, dude. I, I watched him. Very first game I watched of him is Rutgers playing Ohio state. And let's face it, all due respect to the Rutgers football program. Rutgers lines up against Ohio State every Saturday in the fall, unfortunately. They're not going to win. They're not going to win the football game. It's just, it's, it is a predetermined, it's essentially, can you find what channel Ohio State's on before they're up 7-0 on Rutgers? That's basically kind of what week it feels like more yes. often than not. And yet... Melton was up to the challenge, man. He knew who Emeka Ibuka was. He knew who Marvin Harrison Jr. was. And he did not back down at all whatsoever. When he was told to go up and play press coverage against either of these guys, the hands were up. He was in their face, wasn't afraid to get physical. When those guys got even with him, there wasn't panic in his game. He was being subtly physical with them. Um, I think he's got good all-around athleticism, whether it's him flipping his hips, uh, opening up, tracking with guys deep down the sideline or even when you know he's kind of tracking with him and then they're running a comeback route he's got to stop on a dime he's got to stay sticky with him i feel like he had baseline athleticism for the nfl now it's not elite some of the guys that we're going to get to 
a little higher on this list. They had more elite athleticism, but I just felt like he was so smart. He had a great mentality. You could tell that he loves to trash talk. I felt like he, you mentioned the, the spacing, the spatial awareness. I think that, that is huge for playing corner, especially for a lot of these guys that are asked to play both man and zone. You're playing press, you're playing off. There's so much that you have to uh, take into account and you got to have really good instincts in order to be a versatile corner that way. And I thought that he had a really good showing of instincts in, in whatever his, his assignments were. So highly competitive player, feisty dude. He'll do the dirty work in the run game whenever he can. Um, and even though he just wasn't, the best athlete that we're going to talk about today. I just love the style that he played with. I loved how he attacked the ball in the air and he feels like he's just going to be one of my guys throughout this process. So I don't know if he's going to end up as a top five corner when it's all said and done, but going into the season, wanted to give him his props because he is somebody who I think is being underrated right now compared to what I've heard of him versus what I saw on tape. I love it. And I'm excited to see him. And I'm always excited when Rutgers has somebody that, you know, has a legitimate shot to not just be drafted, but be a legitimate prospect throughout the process. And I think the fact that you and I just kicked this off with two senior corners at number five is really, really exciting because we've seen a lot of corner talent go through the all-star circuit process, the all-star games, or, um, you know, just get even more opportunity. And there's something to developing at the position at the college level as well. I mean, there really, really is. It is very hard to just play three years of college football and then be drafted in the first round where you're expected to start a corner at the NFL level and keep your head above water. Now, there's some freak shows that have been able to do it, like Marshawn Lattimore, Patrick Sertan, and Sauce Gardner, but those examples are not really what you want to you know, attach your wagons to. You need to be able to find the guys that are outside of the first round and can really play, and obviously that's how you and I felt about those two which brings me to number four, because I think it's the exact opposite conversation. And that is Nate Wiggins out of Clemson, who is a junior, who is all tools. He's listed 6'2", 185 pounds when mm. you just watch Nate Wiggins play. And then to be fair to Nate Wiggins, right, because I'm making it sound like he is just a ball of clay and somebody's got to find a way to form it. This dude is coming off a first team all ACC season at cornerback. He had 12 PBUs. He had a 98 yard pick six. Um, when you look at the the pluses, I mean, the length, excellent leaping ability. It's on display very often when the ball's in the air, especially in the red area. I think his back pedal is very smooth. I thought he has plus short area quickness. You watch him in the conference title game against USC. Like, keep in mind, Drake May is going to be an NFL quarterback and, I mean, potentially a very highly drafted one. And I thought that was Nate, maybe Nate Wiggins' best performance, right? It felt like he he brought it in the biggest high-intensity atmosphere. So, And as that's towards the end of the season, you're watching a sophomore player who is a big recruit and there's big expectations. You're watching a sophomore player really grow into his own, and I think he carries over that momentum into his junior season. When I bring up him being on the other end of the spectrum compared to some of the senior corners, He's still learning timing. He's learning how to play the ball with timing. He's learning when he has to get his head around on deeper routes. You'll see some of the more advanced corners read the receiver's body language and hands and eyes, and, and they'll turn and be there to see the ball. With a guy like Wiggins, who just hasn't had that same experience, a lot of it is, I need to stay in the hip pocket. I need to stay in the hip pocket. I'm athletic. I'm just going to put my head down and run with him. 
and there's not as much constant playing the ball. But I think there was a lot of examples of where you're starting to see that green light come on with him. I liked Wiggins a lot. Honestly, I'll say this right now. Wiggins was a hell of a lot closer to my number three corner than I had any expectations of him to when you look at the trajectory he's on. So if you want to bet on a guy that isn't getting the same hype as I think the top three corners, which look I'm close to consensus in the industry right now. If this guy ended up being the first corner taken in the draft, I would be like, okay, yeah. I mean, he has that kind of ability. He has that kind of length and size and movement skills. And he's been getting that much better rapidly for such a young player. So this, this is someone where I will actively track throughout the season because if he stays on this trajectory and he starts finding the ball even more and he starts looking a little bit cleaner on vertical plays, I mean, this is somebody who is a no-brainer first-round pick, but he has to stay on that trajectory because there are technical aspects of his game he's still cleaning up. Yeah, Wiggins is one of those players that this happens when you have an NFL draft mindset. Like when you view college football through an NFL draft lens, you will see guys who are freshman or sophomore not draft eligible, and you'll see them make a play live, like, well, we're just watching a game, and you'll say to yourself, like, who is that? Right. And then you'll look up the bio and you'll go, okay, great. True sophomore. I can't talk about him for another year, um, unfortunately. But Nate Wiggins is one of those players who last year I watched him make a lot of plays when I watched Clemson live. And again, I initially looked it up. So I was a true sophomore. And then he just continued to make these flash plays. And I was like, man, I'm really excited about this guy. And he has an interesting, I would say, journey that he's been on while he's at Clemson, which, by the way, he's he was right behind Melton for me. I really debated who I was going to have as like my my CB5 between Wiggins and, and Melton. So both of these guys are very close. So this is a good conversation to have uh, in doing some background reading on him. He didn't really play much as a freshman. And the reason why is because Dabo Sweeney was like he was immature. Straight up, he called right. him. Out. He's like he he was not bought in. He he was not doing the little things that you need to do during the week, during practice, to earn those snaps, to earn that playing time. And he has since praised Wiggins since that freshman season for really buying in, becoming a pro, if you will, and doing what he's needed to do to lock down a starting spot and also just start to play a lot better. And I think that that's why. I don't say this as a cop out. I I I just I totally agree with you. If Wiggins elevated his game and at the end of the day he was a top three corner and getting drafted in the top twenty, I'd be like, all right, okay, I can absolutely see that as a blueprint of where he is in his football journey right now. Because you mentioned he's got the size, six foot two, one eighty five. I mean, he needs to get bigger, he needs to get stronger. I'll get to that in a sec. But you know, you love the length, you love uh, how big he is, how he could go up against these bigger sized corners. He's he's mainly just an off coverage zone corner right now. And I think that that's another area of his game that he could continue to round out. I looked this up of the of the um, what was it? Six hundred and ninety one snaps that he had as an outside corner. Eighty of them came in press coverage. That's very low. So he just does not have no. Okay. Sorry that it was 691 is the total amount of snaps that he played on the outside. 481 is the total number of coverage snaps that he played on the outside, but only 80 of those came 
with press coverage. And so for a guy who is six foot two, moves really well. I mean, he is a smooth mover for a player that is six foot two. The hips will flip, the heat, the 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 feet are quick. He's got good long speed to him. He does not play in press coverage very much. So that's something yeah. that I hope we see more of him next year. Now, obviously, that's a scheme thing. That's a defensive coordinator it's thing. I just going to say, it's all a Clemson. It's not him. So that might not be in the cards for him, but that's just something to note. Um, I'll mention it, some of those PFF stats again. Single coverage, our overall coverage grade, 83.1. So really nice. You like that. Anything in the eight is really nice because – Coverage grade, guys, is it's really tough to grade well. I mean, you'll see corners who are good, who are grading in the 70s in coverage just because it is such a difficult job, play after play, to have a super high coverage grade and have it very well. So anything in the 80s, very nice, 83.1 coverage grades. In single coverage, 75.1, so again, nice, uh, clean pocket. 66.1. So those are fine. 10 forced incompletions. I mentioned 691 total snaps on the outside, only five snaps in the slot. So this guy is just an outside wide receiver. I, I think that he's pretty comfortable playing on the left and the right. It's pretty even split. Like it's not like he's just a left corner or a right corner, which you sometimes see with zone schemes. They flip him constantly, which is nice. I think he's got really good recovery speed. I think he plays on his toes so he can uh, always change direction, put his foot in the ground, really start to go a different way. Um, I think where he does need to continue to work with technique, he's got a great feel for spacing with so much off coverage experience to where he, you really started to see it his sophomore year. He's baiting throws, man. He's a good enough athlete to do it. And now he's really gaining confidence in himself to do it. He was able to bait a lot of throws, which is what you want to see in his own coverage corner. And I even have this down. He had one incompletion, or sorry, he had one interception last year. He had three dropped interceptions. And I felt like there were two of his other forced incompletions that I felt like he could have fully turned his head around and got his hands yep. on the ball for. So this dude had one interception last year. He could have, to me, had five. He could have had five interceptions. And I think that's what we're talking about when we say he could take that next step because a major difference between having one takeaway and having five takeaways. And the big difference is more confidence and more recognition, better technique. And I think that that could be in the cards for him. Look, the run support mentality from him, it's getting better, but he's got to get stronger. Yeah, he does. Some guys are dense at 185 he's not he's light he gets pushed around he's not a big impact player when he goes to get ball carriers um so that was that that is something where i would love to see wiggins get between 190 and 195 and i don't mean combine weight i'm not talking about chugging as much Play water weight. as you possibly can get between 190 195 is a playing weight and i think he's an even better player um, than what he is right now. So I liked Wiggins a lot. I'm glad that you had him in that top five. And it's just a tale of how a season goes, right? When you see a young guy, a first-year starter, get better as the season goes on, and like you said, Trevor, get more comfortable and do a lot of things. He blocked a kick against UNC. I mean, like you said, the staff really pushed him after year one to do more and and really be a, a pro version at college, right? Like be a pro here, be a professional mm -hmm. and buy in and, 
it's just it was a massive massive step where you go he doesn't need to duplicate that but if he just starts is continues to take these kind of steps it's the talent is all there but i agree with you too it is it is very hard to evaluate a player that has significantly less experience in press although he has the tools significantly less experience in press than all the other guys that we're talking about today all right number where are we I'm you're at four curious. i'm at four number four from me somebody's got to tell me what i'm missing okay oh boy did you watch Josh Newton from TCU? Yes, I did watch Josh Newton. I like Josh Newton a lot, man. Sure. And I feel like most people don't. Really? And I, I, okay. And I just and I maybe maybe I'm totally wrong. Maybe it's just because I have not heard the hype from him, but he is one of those sixth year players, okay? Yes. So first and foremost, clearly the NFL doesn't like him, right? Because Good point. It, because if he got anything close, I would think to some sort of a day two grade last year, you were redshirt senior last year. TCU made it to the national championship. Yanko yeah. repeat. He already he transferred would, too. He's he from Louisiana left. Monroe. He would have left. And so I I guess getting because you're right. He's so he was he was a former two-star wide receiver prospect, by the way, from Monroe, Louisiana, played his first four seasons at Louisiana Monroe. Um Redshirted that first year while he transitioned from wide receiver to cornerback. Um, and then he ended up playing at TCU last year, obviously. But like the film at TCU, I thought was good last year. I thought he was a really good football player. And I'm I'm very surprised that we're talking about him here. And I think I'm even more surprised that I really didn't hear much of him last year because even yes. when the draft eligibility and the declaration window was still open. I didn't hear anything about Josh Newton. We talked about Travis Hodges Tomlinson, the other corner who we liked, but I did not really, I don't, I don't want to speak for you. Did you, did you scout Newton last year? No, not at all. So I didn't as well not because I, nobody was really talking about him. And you go back and you watch the tape and guess what? The tape is from last year. The tape was what was his uh, draft eligible year last year. And I thought the tape was good. So he himself, another guy who is six foot one ninety. So it's same thing: sixty first percentile, thirty eighth percentile. Coverage grades: overall coverage grade eighty five point three, good. Single coverage grade seventy five, good. Coverage grade from a clean pocket seventy one point five, good. If you got both those numbers in the seventies, you're playing pretty dang well. He had three interceptions with one interception that was dropped. He had fourteen forced incompletions. That's a lot. There's a lot. That's that's a ton of great ball production. That's three takeaways is fantastic. And then for you to still be at 14 forced incompletions, that means that when they're targeting you, you are making an impact on the ball. He played over 800 snaps on the outside because of how long TCU season was. About 500 of them were on the right side. 330 were on the left. So um, pretty much an even split there. Had 54 snaps in the slot. So he is primarily an outside corner, but. Dude, I think that he was an explosive athlete. I thought he could really hang in short areas as well. He can open it up. He can go down the sideline with these players. I think he was a super smart cornerback. The feet were very quick, versatile in a lot of ways. I think he's got great mentality for the position. He didn't bring that same pride in run defense that he did in coverage. So I think that those were a couple of areas of his game. It's like, all right, well, he's not really shining as much in run defense as he possibly could. But when it came to him being one-on-one with players, I was impressed, man. 
I watched that Georgia game. I thought he handled Lab McConkey decently well. I right. thought he handled A.D. Mitchell decently well. Uh, I can't remember who number one is on Georgia. It's slipping my mind right now. But, like, he handled that player very well as well. Like I said, he'd flip left and right side of the of the line of scrimmage, sometimes in the middle of, of, uh, of drive. So, you know, he's got that versatility there. I think I think this dude is a good football player. And obviously I don't have him over the corners that I've got at three, two, and one, but I'm pretty shocked that Josh Newton wasn't in last year's draft class. And right now from the tape that I saw last year, this is somebody that I'm at the very least drafting on day two at the very least. It is very surprising, right? When you go through it because easily draftable tape, would have been eligible for the all-star process coming off a team that played in the national title game. And this guy was a huge part of it. I right. mean, to put it in perspective, like you said, Trey Tom, uh, you know, Tredavious Tomlinson had more snaps than him at 974, but this dude had 907. And then it falls off a cliff for the TCU corners. I mean, the next one would be Abe Kamara at 523. Keep in mind, Noah Daniels had 40. So this guy went out and really earned it for TCU. He played at a high level. I thought the number one thing with him is because he's 5'11", 188. He's a, a former two-star receiver, like you said, the transfer from Louisiana Monroe mm. and ended up being a starting impactful corner for a team that went to the national title when nobody thought they had a shot at going to the national title game. I know it's a cliche, but I really, this is what I came away watching him. He's just so scrappy. Like you watch him against bigger assignments and every time at the catch point, he's just scratching, clawing, fighting, swatting. He's a he's highly, highly competitive. He's, in my opinion, undersized. I don't think he's an elite athlete. I think he's an older prospect who's had a long road. I do think he gets really grabby when he starts to lose the foot race. And it, at times when he opens up and runs, he loses the foot race. But if you're looking for somebody, he played 247 snaps in press in 2022. That's experienced, that uses his hands, that makes plays at the catch point, that can play above his weight. I think he absolutely fits that bill. And he started for two years for TCU already. So right. I get it, Trevor. I'm not as high on him as you, but I walked away from this exercise after watching 13 corners. I mean, easily in the top nine or eight of them, easily. Yeah. I mean, very easily. And I, you bring up a question that I don't know why it didn't come up in my brain throughout this process. I think I'm just so focused on next year's class that it, you you sit there and don't always think of these. It's a great question, though. Why wasn't he in the class? And why didn't the league like him? And why is he so slept on? Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I, I was shocked after watching his film, the, the lack of buzz that I heard of him from last year and that this was really the first time that I was, I was viewing him. I'm a, I, it seems like I'm a little bit higher on his athleticism than you are. And I definitely agree. He can get handsy and grabby, but I guess through my lens, I was seeing that as like, okay, like he's comfortable getting physical. Cause I didn't think it was, I didn't think it was egregious. Like I didn't think it was like, Oh, I'm out of control. I better grab this guy or he's going to go so far past me. I thought it was more subtle. I thought it was more controlled, but Shoot, you know, this is this is why I love going through this exercises because um, you're obviously somebody who's scouting I trust a lot. So, you know, it's it's great to bounce ideas off each yeah. other as we kind of go into the season. We go, all right, well, now we've got somebody who sees his athleticism a little bit different as we watch him this year. Do I see that a little bit more? Do you see that a little bit more? And then we kind of come back to it as, as we go through our midseason rankings. But all that to say, man, like Josh Newton a lot, 
I was a fan. So I had him at the CB4. So that brings us to the big three, right? I think big we're three. pretty I think we're pretty comfortable with that. I probably have a different two and three than you, although I will not guarantee that. I guess I should just continue going in order because that's the point of the show. But I mean, it's just I'm grouping these guys because that's how they're viewed. They're the big three. Mm-hmm. Number three for me was Kool-Aid. And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to have a different. OK, I know Kool-Aid's number one for a lot of people. And these guys are in I, Once again, I keep calling them the big three because they are all really, really good. Kool-Aid at three. It's not an insult. Just like the other two a little bit better. I like oh, number one. I like number one a lot better in this class. I was blown away. So number three, Kool-Aid McKinstry, Alabama corner, um, long, 6'1", 195. He's got, the obviously, a pretty sick name. It's, yeah, you know, yeah. Kool-Aid McKinstry name. is a his, sick name. <laughs> his name is Kool-Aid McKinstry. It doesn't get... I don't know if it gets better than that, honestly. Finished 2022 with 15 pass breakups and and one pick. Uh, I believe true junior, a uh, true sophomore season for Alabama. So the amount of talent Alabama brings in, not only through the recruiting process and through the transfer portal. I mean, you got to be pretty different to just start as a sophomore corner there. And yeah. obviously he did legit straight line speed to run vertically with wide receivers. I mean, this dude can absolutely run down the field with guys. 299 snaps in press in 2022. And I'll say this, the initial jam at the line of scrimmage is extremely effective with ideal hand placement for a young player. I was blown away. I know he's obviously clearly really well coached up, but also clearly really putting in the work and buying into the technique. He's he can go out there and run with anyone. So the fact that he's clearly taking it this seriously of how to become a good press corner goes to show you the work he's been doing with the staff at such a young age long arms they chop the ball over the top against slants and underneath routes i mean he plays things underneath really really well the 15 pbus speak for themselves i thought that's where they showed up highly competitive in the red zone leaping ability to play the fade I thought he comes downhill with a fury against swing passes and screens. I was like, okay, like I loved it. I thought it was awesome because this, this corner class had some featherweights. Yes. And right. Yeah. I, it's like, you see some dudes get kind of bodied around a little yeah. bit at times in the screen you game. Do. And you're like, Oh man, it's, it's going to happen. Kool-Aid plays with a little bit of an edge when, when teams try to manufacture yards against him on his side of the field, averaged almost 16 yards per punt return. In 2022, man's an athlete. That's why I come to the PFF podcast, folks. There you go. 15.8. If you want the exact one to tweet out their content (laughs) for threads and X. All right. So some of the negatives (laughs) threads and X threads and X. Well, he'll lunge and grab at intermediate routes, like at the stem of the route. He's overreacting a little bit at times. It's like a lunge and then a grab. And I'm like, you're so athletic. And that I and he's he's he is a smart player, but that it's I'm like, why are you overreacting? You'll be he, fine. He doesn't he doesn't need to do it. He doesn't need to do it is what I'm saying. No. He's just so talented. He doesn't need to do it, but he does it a lot. I thought he gets bumped around down the field. And this is one that comes with a giant, giant asterisk because it's like he's a sophomore in the SEC starting for Alabama. Mm-hmm. And this goes back to the, like the Nate Wiggins conversation all over again. 
I think Kool-Aid's going to develop physically that this is not as big of an issue as it is now. But the point of summer scouting is to paint the picture of what a player is right now. And right now, he gets bumped around down the field. I mean, if here's the thing. Refs are not going to call contact that is not hand contact, right? Shoulders mm-hmm. and hips bouncing around against each other, kind of like bumper cars. That's just football down the field. And when he's in those kinds of wars, he he's kind of going places. And he gets bumped around. I mean, that's the easiest way to say it. I thought pre-snap, there's times too where he's still kind of figuring it out. Once again, a young player. You watch the play against Ole Miss where they have the screen for the touchdown on his side and he just wasn't ready. Um, I'm not going to put it all on him, but he just didn't look ready and he looked a little overwhelmed. Th- this is the whole package physically. I think the rest is still catching up a little bit at times. And he's really been thrown into the fire as a starting corner for Alabama. But when you look for a long press corner that has straight line speed and does play with an edge and is physical in press and technically sound in press, everything in the line of scrimmage is the technique is there. It's after the line of scrimmage, the intermediate and the deep routes and the physicality. That's where it totally drops off. I like Kool-Aid a lot. Great name. He once again, trajectory guy, like just keep growing, keep developing, and you will easily be a first round pick. But I will say I surprisingly liked two corners better than him in this draft class right now. I'm also surprised because I have because I have Kool-Aid as CB1. Okay. I have I mean, him, it's gonna I have, be I, it's gonna be popular. I have I have him as the top CB, and I I don't I don't totally disagree with with your assessment of him. I, I just I think the way that I'm viewing Kool Aid is so many of the things that you mentioned. What a name! It's amazing. Yeah, truly. Uh, so many of the things that. Okay, hold on. Wait, wait. By the way, uh, where was the Wikipedia? I wanted to read. I was just going um, to do this. That's McKinsey was freaky. nicknamed Kool-Aid by his grandmother shortly after birth because he's, his smile reminded her of the Kool-Aid man. That is tremendous. He signed a name image likeness deal with Kool-Aid during his freshman season. King. That's a, just incredible. Yeah, so now he's Connor's CB1 uh, as well after uh, after reading that. no Last look, corner with a good nickname worked out pretty well. I have... Um, this is what I have in my little like spark notes summary version of him. This is this is the this is the last sentence that I have on him. He needs to get stronger to mitigate separation yielded and penalties called on him in those situations. But but after that, I have a typo that I'm just now seeing. But uh, this is absolutely a first round player. The way that I view Kool Aid is he definitely has those deficiencies. I don't disagree with you. To me, they're all just fixable. Right. Right. And I mean, you you talked about earlier in the podcast, the things that you look for in a corner and it is one, you got to be athlete enough. like you have to be enough of an athlete to play this position. It is a without question prerequisite. If you are not good enough of an athlete, it doesn't matter even how good your spatial awareness and your instincts are. The NFL is going to eat you alive. The players are too. they're, They're too athletic. The game is getting too fast and they're spreading things out too, too much. You've got to be able to keep up. This dude, to me, is the stickiest corner in the class. Like, when things are going right for him, and when I say that, I don't mean that they're few and far between. They often go right for this guy. 
He will get hands on you. He will stay in your hip pocket. It doesn't matter whether you're, whether it's a slant route, whether it's a comeback, whether you're running a nine, whether it's a skinny post, whether it's a dig over the middle, it, whether it's a mesh route, it doesn't matter. This dude can stick with you. He's got the long speed to be able to do it. He's got the quickness. He can stop on a dime. He can immediately go a different direction. I think he's got good hand usage uh, at times, I guess is probably how I should say that. And I think he's got phenomenal instincts. You mentioned how many pass breakups he has in the forcing completion category that we track, 18. 18 forcing completions. That is a lot. That is some serious production on the ball. And one of the strength categories that I mentioned of his is that he is so good playing with his back to the ball. He is so comfortable at it. He reads receivers' body language. He reads their eyes. He can see if he's in trail technique with a guy. And trust me, the trail technique, he ain't that far behind. He's just trying to play it correctly. He's making sure that he can see right in the the wide receiver's eyes because this is what they'll tell you. When those hands start to go up, or even before the hands start to go up with the wide receiver, their eyes will get wide. When that ball is coming to them, wide receiver's eyes will get wide to locate the ball and track the ball. He can physically see that in wide receivers. You can notice it. And then as the ball is coming, he will time it to get his hand up for the forcing completion without even looking at the ball sometimes. Now, of course, you want to get it turned around. You want to get picks. But like that instincts is so fantastic i think that he is so experienced in press coverage as well of the 518 coverage snaps that he had 427 were in press so this guy has tons of experience doing that a lot of good experience with his back to the ball and you got to think about this too he started at the back end of his true freshman season at alabama who does that right you know complex saban's defenses is saban's the db's coach it's saban himself you understand how mentally sound you have to be at this position to be able to start as a true freshman? That's nuts. That just tells you. You're right. It's pretty rare. I think how, how fantastic of a corner this guy is. Uh, the PFF grades, I'll just shout him out here. Regular coverage grade, 84.5. Good. Single coverage grade, 83.0. Fantastic. That's a great number. And then versus clean pocket, it goes down to 65, which is fine. It's, it's a big drop versus the single coverage. But again, anything in the 60s, you're fine with a clean pocket and more than three seconds of the quarterback holding the ball. So um, I guess I'll, I'll just, well, the weaknesses category, I do want to say this first. So I watched the LSU game. I wanted to make sure to watch that because he went up against Malik Neighbors, who we both really love at wide receiver. Oh, yeah. Malik Neighbors got him a few times with hand fighting and just out-muscling him. Would like to see Kool-Aid add some more strength. And then the other bullet point that I have is, doesn't seem like the type to commit a lot of penalties, but when he does, it's because of that strength issue. I also watched the Texas game where he's going up against Jordan Whittington and he's going up against Xavier Worthy. And both of those guys, when they would get him, especially Xavier Worthy, he would get overly grabby on them. And that's when it was easy to call a penalty on him when he really didn't have to, because I I think that you put it very, very well. You got to get to the point where you're okay. And you're comfortable just bumping a shoulder, bumping your hip into a guy playing physical in that way. You don't got to be playing physical with your hands. And I think the reason why he tried, he gets his full body into trying to be physical sometimes is because he doesn't have that density that he needs. So Again, this is a guy who you gain another five to 10 pounds, probably five pounds if we're being realistic. And you're talking about a guy who can just be a lockdown corner. 
That's why I have him at corner one, because I think that all of that is in the cards for him. And the rest of it, the stuff that you have to have, some of the stuff that's very unteachable, if you will, the athletic ability, the agility itself, the long speed, the instincts, the spatial awareness, the ball skills, fantastic for him. So that's why I got him CB1. I'm not going to argue against anyone that goes down that road because this is the beauty of summer scouting. There is so much projection at hand, and the argument you just made is completely adequate for this guy being the top corner in the draft for right now going into the year. And because there is this year matters so much to the Kool-Aids of the world and guys like um, who are we talking about? Nate Wiggins is another guy like that. Guys that they're young and they're ascending players, right? And you want to see them continue to ascend. Now I will say Kool-Aid can have the same exact season he had last year and he will still go in the first round. Yeah. Because he's yes. just got tools, lanes. Yes. He's already good in press. Um, he's obviously a good punt returner on top of that. Right. So CB1 for you, Trevor. CB3 yep. for me. Wait, before before we get to your next guy, I got to... Yeah, you got to do CB3. Yeah, I almost jumped. jumped well, I d- oh, yeah, I have to do CB3. But before I get to my CB3, I guess. Got to talk wait, people. there's more. Got to talk to the good people about our friends over at DraftKings. This season, DraftKings has launched the largest best ball tournament in DraftKings history, folks. Right now, you can enter into DraftKings best ball tournament and have a shot at winning over 10 million dollars in guaranteed cash prizes that's what is up for grabs make your entry today uh you can draft sit back relax enjoy the nfl season without having to worry about managing your roster waiver wires none of that start playing best ball download the DraftKings app use the promo code pff when you sign up enter that best ball millionaire contest all you gotta do is snake draft your team for the season and there you go each week you will automatically rack up points from all your top scores no ads drops trades or those, I should have played them, and you're stressing out about it going into next week. None of that. Teams with the most points at the end of the season will have a shot at taking home $1 million in top prizes. What are you guys waiting for? Head on over to DraftKings uh, on the app. Sign up using the promo code PFF. Start playing best ball today. Join DraftKings' $10 million best ball tournament only on DraftKings with the promo code PFF. If you got a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Agent eligibility restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. See DraftKings.com for details. All right, CB3 for me. I was agonized on who to put it three and who to put it two here. The battle, the Big Ten battle. Because these, I mean, they're so different. It's not even like the they're, same stratosphere it's, it's, kind of it's, player. It's it's cheesecake and and apple pie, dude. You love both of them. But how do you compare? There's just it's it's it, it's tough. They're both desserts. They're both like sort of pies. I don't know what do you call it? Cheesecake, a, a tort, whatever. I don't know. Tort, yeah. I, 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 had a, I had a, I had a debate with somebody one time, and I was like, it's not a cake. It's more of a pie. And they're like, no, it's a tort. And I was like, all right, you get out of here. Number three for me ended up being define tort. <laughs> Connor's uh, gone, folks. I, I, I didn't spell that right. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely not a wrongful act or an infringement of a right leading to civil legal liability. You're about to get into a court of law with us. Oh, man, there it is with the knee. A sweet cake or tart? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, it is a tort. That person was right. Yeah. Sadly, sadly, we must concede they were actually right. <laughs> We never, we've never missed on a prospect, but we have missed. <laughs> we missed on desserts. desserts. Okay, so I ended up having Cooper DeGene, uh from Iowa as my as my CB three here, and 
it's sort of difficult to really contextualize everything that this player does because if I'm going to be honest, I'm probably going to talk about Cooper DeGene next week as well. Like, I know. I genuinely think this guy could be a phenomenal safety. When I watched the way he played and how so many of his best reps came from the slot, I was like, is this guy Antoine Winfield Jr.? No, I know he's he's not built anywhere close. Way bigger. He's yeah. way bigger than Antoine Winfield Jr. But like Winfield Jr. was a phenomenal free safety during his time in Minnesota. And he also played really well from the slot. And what's he done from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? He's a fantastic free safety, and he's fantastic from the slot. Honestly, I feel like that's going to be DeGene's best role at the NFL because he's six foot one, 207 pounds, 80th percentile and 93rd percentile. So he's a big dude. He's a junior. Y'all got to listen to his background because it's very important. Yes. Four-star safety recruit played quarterback, wide receiver, and defensive back in high school. All right? This is an excerpt from uh, Max Chadwick's article that he did on DeGene when he interviewed him. At his high school, he was one of the most decorated athletes in Iowa State high school football history. In football, he holds the state he holds the school record for career passing yards, career passing touchdowns, touchdown receptions, while also leading the Falcons to their first two state championships in program history. In basketball, his 1,832 career points are 55 more than current Sacramento Kings Harrison Barnes on the state's all-time scoring list. In track, he won the state championship in both the long jump, 23 feet, 7.5 inches, and 100-meter dash, 11.16 seconds. He also played three seasons of varsity baseball. I mean, there might not be a more versatile athlete that we will talk about in the next like three years of draft class. It's insane. Insane. I just kept going, like reading more and more. And his game truly echoes all of that background. And I can't remember if it Mm -hmm. was in the interview with Max or a different interview that he did where he basically, like he says, like, All of that shows up like the track background made me faster. The basketball background gave me quicker feet. The football background obviously gave me a great feel for basically every position on the field. And it shows up, man. This dude is the way that he plays defensive back. And he played mostly from the outside. He played 568 snaps as an outside corner, but he also played 144 from the slot. So just because he played a lot on the outside doesn't mean he didn't have that experience in the slot. And those slot reps are the ones where you see him perfectly time a throw to where he undercuts it which goes into his six forced incompletions five interceptions and two more interceptions that were dropped that were like right in his hands like he played the ball absolutely perfectly so the dude's ball skills are off the charts uh his pff grades were also fantastic 88.3 coverage grade overall 74.8 single coverage grade, 78.2 versus a clean pocket. And I will say that both as an outside corner and as an inside corner, he graded above 70 versus a clean pocket. So those are on plays where you don't get help from your pass rush. This dude is locking players down for more than three seconds. And so 
you know, it's, it, 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 I guess it's not really as much of lockdown because sometimes he's playing off coverage. You know, he's not always playing press. Um, but the way that he plays the game, I feel, is just so unique. The strength categories with him being six foot one, 207 pounds, they show up when he's at the line of scrimmage. They show up in run support when he's tackling, when he's blitzing, when he is, um, setting the edge and asking guys to, and, and making the run the ball carrier come back inside for Jack Campbell to absolutely lay the hammer on somebody. You know, the strength shows up at the catch point. We know that he's bullying guys once they get into the break points of their route. His feet are slower than, than like Kool-Aid McKinstry's or, you know, um, Kalen King's, but the long speed makes up for it. I mean, his recovery speed is fantastic, even though his acceleration and his change of direction is a little bit slower just because he's carrying more weight. Um, I just, dude, I, I I thought that he was absolutely fantastic. I feel like he's going to be your CB2, so I feel like it's a good transition into it. But yes. just to, just to kind of wrap it up here for my explanation of him, my little summary for him is DeGene is a fun player to watch. He is a supersized corner who has a diverse athletic background in the game of football. He's such a smart player with awareness, spacing, and all of his ball skills. His feet are somewhat slow, and his recovery speed isn't as twitchy as you would like, but the long speed, once he opens it up, you see that track background there for him because he can catch up to a lot of receivers and a lot of passes. Because of this, his best position might actually be as a free safety slash slot defender. But make no mistake, this is simply a football player that you want on your team. I mean, you nailed it. He is a great football player. He's CB2 for me. I think that it's going to, a lot of people are going to kind of pick around what his home is for an NFL team. And I think an NFL team is going to land on that in a league where, personnel is so difficult on and off the field right where you're worried about heavy defending heavy sets when you're in nickel which is base in today's nfl um or you're worried about teams trying to spread you out but you also still can't give an inch for the run this is that kind of a racer uh, the guy that i didn't really see limitations in any aspect of playing defense i mean 29 snaps on the line of scrimmage d line is how we would list it 89 more in the box, 137 in the slot, 543 at outside corner, over 150 special team snaps. That's just last year. That's just last year because he's good at everything. He's good at everything. He brought three interceptions back to the house last year. You brought this up. Excellent eyes and quick trigger and zone. I mean, the way he can read and jump throws is just, it's incredible. He's excellent at that. Safety mindset at corner. And what I mean by that is, I mean, real glass chewing, like, yeah, you can try to screen my side of the field, but then I'm a strong safety. Right. It won't I, work. I take off the corner mask and now I'm a strong safety. Yeah. So try that again. Um, easily peels off one assignment to make a play on the ball versus another. Like he could sit in zone and peek underneath and then realize, oh, the ball is going to go over my head. I'm going to go help that guy and make a play on the ball. Five TFLs last year plus run defender. The only question I had with him, I thought his recovery speed, and this probably goes back to what you said about his feet, looked mediocre by NFL standards. Mm -hmm. By NFL standards, it was mediocre. The back, the athletic background is out of this world. The mindset, the demeanor, the toughness. He's an NFL corner. If 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 he wants to be, he's an NFL safety. If he wants to be, he's a right. big nickel. 
He's an outside linebacker in some packages. I just he he's going to be a corner for me because I think he's such a good cornerback. I think he's athletic enough. He's big. But how you line him up at the next level will be fascinating because think about this, Trevor. We just saw Dalton Kincaid go in the first round, right? Mm-hmm. We him. saw Kyle Pitts go in the top five two years ago. Couple, yep. Yeah, two years ago. Think of the power slot. We All preseason, we're hearing Mike Williams is going to maybe play the slot this year. The league is gravitating partially away from the little slippery, and they're still out there, out there, but the Wes Welkers, you know, we're we're getting away from the little slots of the world and looking for big slots that can crack down and block, can be mismatched players against small nickel corners, can do a lot of different things in the possession game. And this is the counter to that. This is the counter to that. If you're like, we don't live in a world where it's like, you can't take a nickel defender in the first round. You might need to now. You might need to find your nickel defender in the first round because it's such a vital part of the field is these outside corners get bigger, faster, stronger, and defend so well outside the numbers, you need to attack the middle of the field. So what's your counter when teams start attacking in the middle of the field with bigger players? That also impacts the run game. The answer is Cooper to Gene. Yeah. So great player. Uh, can't wait to watch him play this year. I'm with you 100%. As, as, as tight ends have... I think increase their draft stock. Certainly when you get guys that are very unique, we saw Kyle Pitts obviously go in the top five. We saw um, Dalton Kincaid get talked about very highly and get drafted in the first round. Sam Laporta went before Michael Mayer. And he's more of, in my opinion, an off the line of scrimmage tight end. This is your response. It's players like Cooper DeGene who are your response. If, if, if the draft were next week, this guy's getting drafted in the first round, no question. And it's probably, no he's probably getting drafted in the top 20. I would agree. So that's, Which, that's why he, he's fun, man. Well, I, I think we might talk about him a little bit um, next week as well, but right. um, I don't really care where you line him up. He's just a damn good football player. Uh, all right. Talk to us about your guy. Talk to us about CB one. Well, th- so this is number two for you just to clarify, right? Yes. Two for me. Number one for you. Yep. Kalen King at a Penn state. I, I mean, I was blown away. I thought I went into this exercise and I I know I said the big three, but this dude was easily number one for me at corner. Sure. He's a, he's a little smaller than a lot of these guys that, well, Witherspoon actually just went top, you know, six or whatever it was. So I guess that's not really Did the case anymore. Go four? Yeah. Witherspoon went to Seattle, I believe at four because Richardson went five to the Colts. So no, it was the other way around. Richardson went four. There we go. Uh, Thank you. Um, Witherspoon went five. See, we already did the Toy Story. Like, we just don't... We already discarded the draft. <laughs> I don't draft. care anymore. <laughs> We're all, it doesn't matter anymore. It's all over. Uh, who's rebuilding? I want to talk about that. Right. Kalen King listed 5'11", 191. Junior at Penn State. Out of Detroit, Michigan. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the last corner taken in the first round at Detroit, Michigan. Sauce Gardner. Pretty good rookie season. It's a much, much different player than Sauce Gardner. This is not a guy that's long with length, but holy shit, fluid, easy moving athlete. I mean, as fluid and easy moving as they come. 
Feather feet. Change of direction is plus plus. Legit tracking and ball skills. I thought he tracked and ran routes better than the wide receivers half the time out there. You could flip the uniform, but keep him at corner. And I would just assume that's the receiver. That's how much it looked that way at times. He is a master at reading the wide receiver's reactions to know when to turn his head to play the ball all the time. I, guys in the NFL are uh, not all of them, but like the besides the really good ones are not doing it on the level that I saw from him, where I was like, this guy is incredible at timing the ball. Very savvy at picking up receivers on crossers. Very uh, good communicator. Very smart pre-snap and post-snap. He scratches and claws through screens, screen blockers, despite his size. This, it's not Witherspoon because I thought Witherspoon was rare, like rare, rare, rare yeah. territory. I want to make this very clear. It's not that. But the on-field demeanor for an undersized guy was phenomenal. Phenomenal. He blew up a screen versus Ohio State, and I was like, it wasn't the Witherspoon play, but it's I damn know exactly play. what you're talking about. Where, he, would, where he splits the wide receivers and he just goes yes. straight into the ball carrier's chest. I can't remember yes. who it was, but. I thought this guy is a star, a star. I mean, the biggest thing for me is he's got a slender frame with very average height and length. And I might be polite by calling it average. I think he's going to look smaller in a class with Kool-Aid, with Cooper, um, Wiggins, who's tall, TJ Tampa, who's tall. I think Mellon was even six feet tall, wasn't he? Yeah, Mellon's, they have him listed at six feet tall, yeah. He's going to look smaller than a lot of these guys, but they just don't move like this. This guy, they do, the average DB does not move like this guy. Yep. And I think he is so, so fiery, so competitive, so polished. I actually think I could put him on an NFL field today, but I am glad that he's not because if we've seen Penn State crank up physical development with guys and they go to the combine and test out of this like Olympians, they literally mm-hmm. test like Olympians. Yeah. So that I'm glad Caitlin has that this season, but I was blown away watching this tape. Athletically. He's special, man. Special. Let, let me tell you, it took me three plays to realize that. I agree. Three it didn't even plays. take long. And I, I, I agree with you a hundred percent. I don't put him on Witherspoon's level yet, but it's reminiscent. I mean, what made Witherspoon special was I've rarely seen college corners be able to truly stop in their tracks at the same exact time that a wide receiver is at the same exact spot. The receiver knows the route they're running. The corner does not. And it Witherspoon's ability to click and close was something unbelievably rare. Like Jire. I, think that, yeah. I think that King is... I don't know if I would say it's that level, but it's close. Like that is what you first notice about him is the click and close ability, the stop and start, the overall explosiveness, the way that this dude can open up and stay with wide receivers going all the way up the sideline. He gets to the point. You're right. Once, once he figures out 
and it doesn't take him long. I don't mean this to say like it takes him long to do it. Once he figures out that you're running a nine route, that you're just running up the field, he will run the route for you. He will he will like get in front of you. He will out position you and he'll go, okay, when's the ball coming to us? Like there's no, there was no, like there's no trail technique. There's no like play with your back to the ball. He's basically the wide receiver at that point. There are a couple of reps where he was doing that, which just goes to show how incredible of, of an athlete this dude is. The PFF stats for him, elite 90.7 coverage grade, elite 91.5 single coverage grade, nuts. And then Coverage grade from a clean pocket where the time to throw is more than three seconds, 71.9, which is still a great score. Three interceptions, 16 forced incompletions, 491 snaps on the outside, about an even split left and right. So it shows you it's not like this guy is just only scheme versatile, can only play on the left or right side. He's good enough an athlete playing any of them. Didn't really play from the slot. He only had nine snaps on the slot, but you're not going to play him out there anyways. The biggest concern that I had with Kalen King is just the fact that he is such an incredible athlete. Sometimes his feet and his lower body are moving before his hands do, and he can like be a little out of control. Like when he's changing directions, sometimes the hands can get a little bit too far out. Sometimes that they're just kind of like flailing a little bit. He just he is such a good athlete that he he looks out of control at times. So honing that in a little bit more, keeping the hands in, making sure that they're not like making sure that the hand's not like out to the right when you really want it to be going in towards the defender or whatever it is, setting up that scenario. You just want to be a little bit more controlled. I felt like he was just a little bit too out of control, but shoot, man, that's for as athletic as this guy is and how well he can stay in the hip pocket of wide receivers. That's nitpicking. It it, it truly is. It's just something that the more he plays now that he is draft eligible, because yeah, to your point, He's just true sophomore, man. We're just watching true sophomore tape of him. Easy to believe that he is going to be more of a controlled player. And uh, that will make him even more impactful, which is kind of hard to believe. Number one part about him that I love. He's an emotional player. Very. But in the way that you love, like he's talking shit to you all the time. Like he is in your face every play. When he makes a play on the ball, and this was, again, Witherspoon-esque. When Witherspoon made a play on you, he let you know about it. And that is a necessity to playing the cornerback position. When you play corner at any high level of football, I would say in the NFL or in the FBS, you have to believe you are the best football player on the field every time you step on the field. Have to believe it. Have to believe it. When you get beat, the next play after that is simply another opportunity to go show that you're the best football player on the field. That's it. And I think that's how Kalen King plays. That's how a lot of these other corners play. But him, you can you can just see it even on the All-22 tape, the passion that this guy plays with. And that's the kind of corner that you want to invest in. So I had him at number two. Love them a lot. You had him at number one. I think that that makes a ton of sense. Let's uh, let's recap the top fives before we get into some of these other corners that we're going to give some shout outs to. So who'd you have at five and just uh, go from five to one? TJ Tampa from Iowa State at five. Nate Wiggins from Clemson at four. Kool-Aid McKinstry from Alabama at three. Cooper DeGene from Iowa at number two. 
followed by number one, Penn State's Kalen King. All right, I had Max Melton from Rutgers at number five, Josh Newton from TCU at four, Cooper DeGene from Iowa at three, Kalen King from Penn State at two, and then I had Kool-Aid McKinstry from Alabama at number one. I think there's a handful of players that um, I'd like to just say some some words on because I know people in the comments are going to be like, hey, what about this guy? What about this guy? But yeah, that's uh, a good idea. We need to start doing more of that because people think we watch four players every show. And it's, <laughs> no, I, I folks, watch- I, uh, trust me, you would not believe how much of our weeks are dedicated to this, to crafting this top five. Yeah, a lot of hours, a lot of hours. Um, who do you want to shout out? Give me a couple. Give me a couple guys and then we'll kind of go back and forth. We'll do some there. real quick cliff notes. How about Javon Bullard, the slot corner from Georgia slash Kind of safety. He's kind of this, you know, once again, one of those nickel players. He was the defensive MVP. He was the defensive MVP of the Natty against TCU. Uh, I thought he looked really patient and calm. So that was somebody that, you know, I want to give a shout out to on a higher scale. How about um, another guy that fits that TJ Tampa mold of being really long? uh, Decamrion Richardson from Mississippi State. He's listed six, two and a quarter. He is huge. Length, long strider, covers a lot of ground, energetic, highly competitive, very active tackler. Then I'll do one more quick one here. Quinion Mitchell from Toledo had, this was, you want active film? He had five picks and 20 PBUs last year, and he dropped five picks, Trevor. So this dude realistically- five picks, what are we doing? And and I watched those two, and I mean, there was at least two of them. It's like, yeah, he definitely should have had that. So this dude could have had a 10 interception season, at least an eight interception season. He had five, but he also broke up 20 passes. Really, really excellent understanding of routes and how to break on them. Um, He had a four interception game against NIU. Some real, some real funny ones in there. So Quinion Mitchell will be at a Toledo. Definitely an interesting guy. What about you? A uh, handful of players that I think that we could just give a shout out to Jason Marshall Jr. from my Florida For Gators. Sure. Um, he's he's an outside corner, played 644 snaps on the outside. I like him a little spark notes version or a little spark notes recap for him. He was a former five star recruit coming out of Miami. Marshall's a bigger corner who boasts length, speed and strength. He doesn't back down from a challenge against bigger outside receivers, which I really like. He's a calm player who understands uh, how to bait throws, good spacing and zone coverage. And when he's in trail technique, he's a little hesitant in run defense and tackling at times. It can lead to some awkward tackling attempts, which he needs to get a lot more confidence in. He yields a little bit too much coverage in, in, in cover three. And honestly, a reason why I didn't have him higher on this list. I mentioned the stop and start ability, the click and close, something that uh, was a big catalyst for why Devon Witherspoon was my CB1 last year. I, I, it, it's strange because sometimes I feel like he's better at change of direction but when guys are running comeback routes against him, he gives up like three or four yards of space. And I, and it's like, it takes him forever to chop his feet and to stop. And that was kind of strange to me. So I'm wondering if that's going to be something that's consistent with his tape this year, because I, I mean, just straight up, you can't be yielding that much space in coverage when guys are breaking on routes. I mean, you're just going to get cooked anytime that somebody's running a comeback route. They know it's going to be an easy six, seven yards against you. And that can't happen in the NFL. So a lot to like about him. Bigger corner. He's like six, one, uh, about 203 pounds. So you like the size, um, but just some things to, to kind of cover. I would, I would just wish he would be a little bit stickier when he's in man coverage. I like him a lot when he's in zone. I feel like he just, he's, he gives up too much in zone. So a lot of like to man, but a lot to like in man, but not as much in zone Denzel Burke. I know a lot of people are going to talk about from Ohio state. This is kind of what I had to say about Denzel Burke growing player, sophomore tape showed a good baseline of athleticism to play the position. Um, 
when he was playing free and moving from a place of confidence, he could be pretty sticky in man coverage, but there were plenty of times when it felt like the confidence left him. And that's where he really started to hesitate. And that's when he'd get into a lot of trouble. Tape got much better as the year went on. He was more confident, which is good to see going into his junior year. More reps could yield a pretty big jump from him in consistency and ball production, but he definitely needs some uh, improvement in ball production. Only had five forced incompletions. Didn't have any interceptions last season. And then the single coverage and clean pocket grades a little bit lower in coverage than what you want. So I know a lot of people are going to bring up those couple of guys. Uh, last slot guy that I will mention, because somebody asked us to watch him. Um, I think this is how you say his last name. Mike Samersill from Michigan. He's fun. He really is. Crazy background. Uh, born in Port-au-Prince, Haiti in the year 2000. His father was a newsroom director at a radio station and got death threats after the 2000 Haitian presidential election. And as a result, the family fled from Haiti when uh, Samuel was only seven months old. So then they moved to Massachusetts where he played high school ball, ends up going to Michigan, uh, played wide receiver at Michigan for the first three seasons that he was there before transferring over to defensive back just last year. And in one year of playing DB, I mean, the guy had some pretty great instincts. I'm not going to lie. So I'm really excited to see him. He's a little bit smaller. He's 5'9", 185 pounds, so 9th and 19th percentile. But he's just a slot receiver, or sorry, a, uh, a, a slot defender. 541 snaps in the slot and just 27 as an outside corner. So he's small and that kind of shows up, but he's feisty. He's fearless. He'll get up into dudes' uh, faces and press coverage. Uh, he'll give his all when it comes to tackling. He's a little bit limited athletically, and then with the length as well. He was going up against Emeka Ibuka uh, at Ohio State, and there was a route where Ibuka was just coming over the middle, and Sancho honestly played it really well, dove to get the PBU. The arms just weren't long enough. He just that just showed up in a direct way where he couldn't make an impact on the ball. So little limitations there, but he's a really fun player, plays with his hair on fire. Uh, I do think he's a future NFL player, although right now I'd say he's probably he's, he's a day three guy. All right. A lot of corners in this class that we're going to keep an eye on throughout the entire year. I mean, we have tons of uh, duos to keep an eye on, whether it's DJ James from Auburn and uh, Nehemiah Pritchett, his teammate. Yep. Obviously, Kalen King at Penn State, his running mate is Johnny Dixon. Uh, Kamari Lasseter, of course, at Georgia with Bullard. You know, there's a, there's a lot of tandems to watch as well. So we'll be on top of all of it. I, corner... Is maybe the the longest process. Yeah, dude, it took me right? forever to watch just, these fourteen guys. You oh gotta watch so many goodness. snaps. I you woke up Sunday so before I even poured a cup of coffee, or hell, even I didn't even take a step out of bed. I just grabbed my phone, I texted you, and I was like, "Dude, I need another day." And you were like, "I was planning on Monday anyway." Yeah, well. I, was, I was like, <laughs> "Good." I was like, "This is I I am just pouring hours into this, and it's but that's watching a corner because here's the reality." So much of watching corners is nothing happening. That's right. part of the evaluation process. And that's what that's what makes it so fascinating. And every and snap can be different, you know? Like yes. every, it, it, oh it's, my God. It's not like you can be like, okay, well, I kind of already know what this guy's gonna do. It's just a matter of do I see consistency with it? What do I see consistency with? There's so many different things that could happen when you're playing corner. Every single snap is different. So you gotta watch a lot of these different snaps. It, but um, yeah. It has me excited for the field goal kickers summer scouting. Oh, yeah, of course. Right, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, did he make it? Yes? Okay, good player. Did he miss? <laughs> okay, 
bad from uh, where okay <laughs> 53 he's got a chance 48 mm, no sorry stinks um a couple of other guys that i watched i watched tony grimes i watched kamari Lasseter. i watched mm. malachi moore uh fentro cypress so like if you guys have any questions or thoughts on those guys hit us up in sure. the comments i'll respond to them i'll respond a little bit more there um but ooh, yes i forgot to sneak in the ooh. second best name besides kool-aid mckinstry and this gives it a good run how about woo governor on northern iowa woo governor woo governor his name's demarcus but his his name is listed as woo does he just woo. do like the rick flair woo like every, I, I hope instead so of, instead of you know like the the like the crossed hands like the like the no catch no fly zone he just does the two claps and a woo. rick flair <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that would be it'd be my top five if that's the case so i'm trying it. to i can't even find the where the nickname originated from We'll work on it, folks. We'll bring you the best content going forward. (laughs) Let us know what you thought of our rankings and, of course, this quarterback class overall. Uh, Best way to do that is to get in on the comment section on the YouTube channel, youtube.com backslash NFL Stock Exchange. If you don't already subscribe to the channel, what are you doing? Smash subscribe, like the video. We'd really appreciate it. Really help the channel out. We're over 11,000 subscribers, which is freaking awesome. It's It was a big time goal to be over 10,000 before the season started. So um, this is really cool. We're excited to rock with you guys as the season goes on. We got one more position that we are getting to, which is the safety position in summer scouting. And then like Connor said, we're going to take a little bit of time. Maybe it'll be a week, but we might be able to do it in a week. It might be a couple of days after that, but we're going to get our big boards together like we did last year. And Connor's going to go over his preseason big boards, probably just going to be a top 50. I'll go over mine. And then live on the show, we will collaborate and come up with an official NFLSE top 50 big board going into the season. So all of that is coming. And then obviously that's going to give way to our very first 2024 NFL mock draft, which we're going to do once the season gets kicked off as well. Um, so be sure you guys are looking out for that. Connor, you got anything, uh, got anything else for it? We get out of here. I just realized next week we get to evaluate Jalen Catalan for the third time. Uh, so shout out to the guy. We, we love Jalen Catalan on this podcast. I love Jalen Catalan. I'll never quit. I'll never quit. He's going to be in my top five out of respect. I mean, there's just no other way. Even if we you don't put him it, in there out of respect, Damn he is it. now on Texas from Arkansas. Wait, he transferred to Texas? Yes, I know. I, I, this is kind of relatively new news to me too. When I started putting together the safety list, I was like, "Hmm, fun player, dude." Oh, fun well, then player. he's he's in. He look, we're so he's, back. He's never played it down as a Longhorn before, so I'm taking all of his injury history, throwing it out the window. It never happened. Longhorn, great. Never, and that never happened. He's never been injured at Texas. Never been injured once. I love it. I can't wait. It's Jalen Catalan and other safety week, folks. So get excited yes. for it. Appreciate you guys uh, watching and listening to the show. We will see you next week. I'm Trevor Sycamore. That's Connor Rogers. Thank you all so much for listening to the NFL Stock Exchange podcast. We'll see you then.